a journal of the plague year, being observations or memorials of the most remarkable occurrences, as well public as private, which happened in London during the last great visitation in 1665, written by a citizen who continued all the while in London, never made public before. Episode 12 The accounts in the first part of this episode will be especially familiar to those of you hearing it during the spring of 2020, particularly if you've been sequestering yourself against the COVID-19 pandemic. Here, the author describes how some families attempted to shut themselves in voluntarily, laying in stores of food so that they went to market as infrequently as possible. Some of them spent their time shut in, making beer or bread, or, like the author himself, passed the time reading or writing a diary, the all-too-familiar pastimes of the homebound. He also describes the length people went to to avoid contact with each other and with the bodies of people who literally fell down dead in front of them during necessary trips to the market and other places. As we learned from the last episode, at that time there was no true understanding of the causes of the disease, which is spread by flea bites, and only rarely by contact with the infected. But the social distancing they practiced was effective nonetheless when strictly observed. The right practice for the wrong reason. Toward the end of this episode, the tone darkens considerably as the author describes his forays out into the city and the terrors he encounters there. I must here take further notice that nothing was more fatal to the inhabitants of this city than the supine negligence of the people themselves, who, during the long notice or warning they had of the visitation, made no provision for it, by laying in store of provisions, or of other necessaries, by which they might have lived retired and within their own houses, as I have observed others did, and who were in a great measure preserved by that caution nor were they, after they were a little hardened to it, so shy of conversing with one another when actually infected as they were at first, no, though they knew it. I acknowledge I was one of those thoughtless ones that had made so little provision that my servants were obliged to go out of doors to buy every trifle by penny and halfpenny, just as before it began. Even till my experience showed me the folly, I began to be wiser so late that I had scarce time to store myself sufficient for our common subsistence for a month. I had in family only an ancient woman that managed the house, a maid servant, two apprentices, and myself, and the plague beginning to increase about us, I had many sad thoughts about what course I should take and how I should act. The many dismal objects which happened everywhere as I went about the streets had filled my mind with a great deal of horror for fear of the distemper, which was indeed very horrible in itself, and in some more than in others. The swellings, which were generally in the neck or groin, when they grew hard and would not break, grew so painful that it was equal to the most exquisite torture, and some, not able to bear the torment, threw themselves out at windows or shot themselves, or otherwise made themselves away. 
and I saw several dismal objects of that kind. Others, unable to contain themselves, vented their pain by incessant roarings, and such loud and lamentable cries were to be heard as we walked along the streets that would pierce the very heart to think of, especially when it was to be considered that the same dreadful scourge might be expected every moment to seize upon ourselves. I cannot say but that now I began to faint in my resolutions. My heart failed me very much, and sorely I repented of my rashness. When I had been out, and met with such terrible things as these I have talked of, I say I repented my rashness in venturing to abide in town. I wished often that I had not taken upon me to stay, but had gone away with my brother and his family. Terrified by those frightful objects, I would retire home sometimes and resolve to go out no more, and perhaps I would keep those resolutions for three or four days, which time I spent in the most serious thankfulness for my preservation and the preservation of my family and the constant confession of my sins, giving myself up to God every day and applying to Him with fasting, humiliation, and meditation. Such intervals as I had I employed in reading books and in writing down my memorandums of what occurred to me every day, and out of which afterwards I took most of this work, as it relates to my observations without doors. What I wrote in my private meditations I reserve for private use, and desire it may not be made public on any account whatever. I also wrote other meditations upon divine subjects, such as occurred to me at that time and were profitable to myself, but not fit for any other view, and therefore I say no more of that. I had a very good friend, a physician whose name was Heath, whom I frequently visited during this dismal time, and to whose advice I was very much obliged for many things which he directed me to take, by way of preventing the infection when I went out, as I found I frequently did, and to hold in my mouth when I was in the streets. He also came very often to see me, and as he was a good Christian as well as a good physician, his agreeable conversation was a very great support to me in the worst of this terrible time. It was now the beginning of August, and the plague grew very violent and terrible in the place where I lived, and Dr. Heath coming to visit me, and finding that I ventured so often out in the streets, earnestly persuaded me to lock myself up and my family, and not to suffer any of us to go out of doors, to keep all our windows fast, shutters and curtains close, and never to open them. But first, to make a very strong smoke in the room where the window or door was to be opened, with rosin and pitch, brimstone or gunpowder and the like. And we did this for some time, but as I had not laid in a store of provisions for such a retreat, it was impossible that we could keep within doors entirely. However, I attempted, though it was very late, to do something towards it, and first, as I had convenience both for brewing and baking, I went and bought two sacks of meal, and for several weeks, having an oven, we baked all our own bread. Also I bought malt and brewed as much beer as all the casks I had would hold, and which seemed enough to serve my house for five or six weeks. Also I laid in a quantity of salt butter and Cheshire cheese, but I had no flesh meat, and the plague raged so violently among the butchers and slaughterhouses on the other side of our street, where they are known to dwell in great number, 
that it was not advisable so much as to go over the street among them. And here I must observe again that this necessity of going out of our houses to buy provisions was in great measure the ruin of the whole city. For the people catch the distemper on these occasions one of another, and even the provisions themselves were often tainted, at least as I have great reason to believe so, and therefore I cannot say with satisfaction what I know is repeated with great assurance, that the market people and such as bought provisions in town were never infected. I am certain the butchers of Whitechapel, where the greatest part of the flesh meat was killed, were dreadfully visited, and that at least to such a degree that few of their shops were kept open, and those that remained of them killed their meat at mile end and that way, and brought it to market upon horses. However, the poor people could not lay up provisions, and there was a necessity that they must go to market to buy, and others to send servants or their children. And as this was a necessity which renewed itself daily, it brought abundance of unsound people to the markets, and a great many that went thither sound brought home death with them. It is true people used all possible precaution. When anyone bought a joint of meat in the market, they would not take it off the butcher's hand, but took it off the hooks themselves. On the other hand, the butcher would not touch the money, but have it put into a pot full of vinegar, which he kept for that purpose. The buyer carried always small money to make up any odd sum, that they might take no change. They carried bottles of scents and perfumes in their hands, and all the means that could be used were used but then the poor could not do even these things, and they went at all hazards. Innumerable dismal stories we heard every day on this very account. Sometimes a man or woman dropped down dead in the very markets, for many people that had the plague upon them knew nothing of it till the inward gangrene had affected their vitals, and they died in a few moments. This caused that many died frequently in that manner in the streets suddenly, without any warning. Others, perhaps, had time to go to the next bulk or stall, or to any door-porch, and just sit down and die, as I've said before. These objects were so frequent in the streets that when the plague came to be raging on one side, there was scarce any passing by the streets, but that several dead bodies would be lying here and there upon the ground. On the other hand, it is observable that though at first the people would stop as they went along, and called to the neighbors to come out on such and such an occasion, yet afterward no notice was taken of them, but that if at any time we found a corpse lying, go across the way and not come near it, or, if in a narrow lane or passage, go back again and seek some other way to go on the business we were about. And in those cases the corpse was always left till the officers had notice to come and take them away, or till night, when the bearers attending the dead cart would take them up and carry them away. Nor did those undaunted creatures who performed these offices fail to search their pockets, and sometimes strip off their clothes if they were well dressed, as sometimes they were, and carry off what they could get. But to return to the markets. The butchers took care that if any person died in the market, they had the officers always at band to take them away upon hand barrows, and carry them to the next churchyard. And this was so frequent that they were not entered in the weekly bill, found dead in the streets or fields, as is the case now, but they went into the general articles of the great distemper. 
but now the fury of the distemper increased to such a degree that even the markets were but very thinly furnished with provisions, or frequented with buyers, compared to what they were before, and the Lord Mayor caused the country people who brought provisions to be stopped in the streets leading into the town, and to sit down there with their goods, where they sold what they brought and went immediately away. And this encouraged the country people greatly to do so, for they sold their provisions at the very entrances into the town, and even in the fields, as particularly in the fields beyond Whitechapel, in Spitalfields, also in St. George Fields in Southwark, in Bunhill Fields, and in a great field called Woods Close near Islington. Thither the Lord Mayor, Aldermen, and Magistrates sent their officers and servants to buy for their families, themselves keeping within doors as much as possible, and the like did many people. And after this method was taken, the country people came with great cheerfulness, and brought provisions of all sorts, and very seldom got any harm, which, I suppose, added also to that report of their being miraculously preserved. As for my little family, having thus, as I have said, laid in a store of butter, bread, cheese, and beer, I took my friend and physician's advice and locked myself up, and my family, and resolved to suffer the hardship of living a few months without flesh meat rather than to purchase it at the hazard of our lives. But though I confined my family, I could not prevail upon my unsatisfied curiosity to stay within entirely myself. And though I generally came frighted and terrified home, yet I could not restrain, only that indeed I did not do it so frequently as at first. I had some little obligations, indeed, upon me to go to my brother's house, which was in Coleman Street Parish, and which he had left to my care, and I went at first every day, but afterwards only once or twice a week. In these walks I had many dismal scenes before my eyes, as particularly of persons falling dead in the streets, terrible shrieks and screeching of women, who, in their agonies, would throw open their chamber windows and cry out in a dismal, surprising manner. It is impossible to describe the variety of postures in which the passions of the poor people would express themselves. Passing through Tokenhouse Yard in Lothbury, of a sudden a casement violently opened just over my head, and a woman gave three frightful screeches and then cried, Oh, death! 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 in a most inimitable tone, and which struck me with horror and a chillness in my blood. There was nobody to be seen in the whole street, neither did any other window open, for people had no curiosity now in any case, nor could any one help one another. So I went on to pass into Bell Alley. Just in Bell Alley, on the right hand of the passage, there was a more terrible cry than that, though it was not so directed out of the window. But the whole family was in a terrible fright, and I could hear women and children run screaming about the rooms like distracted. When a garret window opened and somebody from a window on the other side of the alley called and asked, What's the matter? Upon which, from the first window, it was answered, Ah, oh, Lord, my old master has hanged himself. The other asked again, Is he quite dead? And the first answered, Aye, aye, quite dead quite dead and cold. This person was a merchant and a deputy alderman, and very rich. 
I care not to mention the name, though I knew his name too, but that would be a hardship to the family, which is now flourishing again. But this is but one. It is scarce credible what dreadful cases happened in particular families every day. People in the rage of the distemper were in the torment of their swellings, which was indeed intolerable, running out of their own government, raving and distracted, and oftentimes laying violent hands upon themselves, throwing themselves out at their windows, shooting themselves, and so forth, mothers murdering their own children in their lunacy, some dying of mere grief as a passion, some of mere fright and surprise without any infection at all, others frighted into idiotism and foolish distractions, some into despair and lunacy, others into melancholy madness. The pain of the swelling was in particular very violent and to some intolerable. The physicians and surgeons may be said to have tortured many poor creatures even to death. The swellings in some grew hard, and they applied violent drawing plasters or poultices to break them. And if these did not do, they cut and scarified them in a terrible manner. In some, those swellings were made hard, partly by the force of the distemper and partly by their being too violently drawn, and were so hard that no instrument could cut them, and then they burnt them with caustics, so that many died raving mad with the torment, and some in the very operation. In these distresses, some, for want of help to hold them down in their beds or to look to them, laid hands upon themselves, as above. Some broke out into the streets, perhaps naked, and would run directly down to the river if they were not stopped by the watchmen or other officers, and plunge themselves into the water wherever they found it. It often pierced my very soul to hear the groans and cries of those who were thus tormented. But of the two, this was counted the most promising particular in the whole infection. For if these swellings could be brought to a head, and to break and run, or, as the surgeons call it, to digest, the patient generally recovered, whereas those who, like the gentlewoman's daughter, were struck with death at the beginning, and had the tokens come out upon them, often went about indifferent easy, till a little before they died, and some till the moment they dropped down, as in apoplexies and epilepsies is often the case. Such would be taken suddenly very sick, and would run to a bench or bulk, or any convenient place that offered itself, or to their own houses if possible, as I mentioned before, and there sit down, grow faint, and die. This kind of dying was much the same as it was with those who die of common mortifications, who die swooning, and, as it were, go away in a dream. Such as died thus had very little notice of their being infected at all till the gangrene was spread through their whole body, nor could physicians themselves know certainly how it was with them till they opened their breasts or other parts of their body and saw the tokens. <laughs> 